and welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we talk 2022 midterms because it's never too early to talk about the next election cycle. We'll discuss the lessons learned from this month's results and what we can expect a year from now, from the biggest contest to redistricting to the leading issues on people's minds. And joining us is someone to break it all down, Cassie Smedley. Cassie Smedley is executive director of America Rising PAC. She joined the team after serving concurrent roles as a deputy communications director and national press secretary at the Republican National Committee. Prior to that, she spent 10 years on Capitol Hill in communications capacities in both the Senate and the House, um, and that included communications director roles for Senator Todd Young and Congressman Sean Duffy, in addition to other offices. So she's very knowledgeable on this, and it's a pleasure to have her on the program. Thank you so much for joining us, Cassie. Wonderful to be with you. I've been a longtime fan of all, all the work that you guys do. So this is this is a lot of fun to be with you today. Well, thank you for following us and thank you for joining us to give us your insights on elections. Before we turn to the midterms, which we're going to spend the majority of our time focusing on, it would do a disservice to all of us to at least take a look at this week's election results. Some big races, especially in Virginia, you have the Republican winning the governor's race in Virginia. Just give us big picture. What do you make of this? Mm-hmm. Well, certainly a fantastic night for Republicans uh, should be a very humbling night for Democrats. But I really want to underscore in the big picture, and as we do transition to the conversation about next November, what a big night for parents, for local issues, for average hardworking Americans standing up and saying, my voice does matter, my concerns are valid, and we will not allow, whether it be unions or Democrat machine candidates, to write us off. And I think that is a a huge win, obviously, just for democracy, but certainly for any candidate who's going to have their name on a ballot over the next 12 months, something to keep in mind for their path as well. I think something that just really stood out to me is don't mess with moms. If you mess with their Mm -hmm. kids, they're going to come out and they are going to vote. Women care and women have a lot of issues they care about. But one of the most important is their children and the education of their children. So I think as we learn more and more about who came out and why, that's going to be the big story. But it, it does make me wonder how we expect Democrats to approach the midterms as they take a look at what happened with the Republicans, the issues that mattered. In your perspective, do you think this really leads to a big fight between moderate Democrats and progressives? Well, it should. And we're seeing already that they're pointing fingers at each other saying, well, it was because you, Manchin, and Cinema held up the vote. We didn't get anything done that Tara McAuliffe didn't have anything to run on. And then it's the moderates, quote unquote, saying, no, it's because you all insisted on making our entire agenda about multi-trillion dollar socialist programs that nobody wants and we can't afford uh, that did us in. And so, of course, as Republicans and conservatives, you love to see it. The more that they fight, the longer we delay their agenda, which is good news for the country, ultimately. Um, But It also, what it should be doing, like I said in the beginning, it should have been a humbling night for them. And unfortunately, the takeaways that we're seeing in the immediate aftermath is that they're not learning that lesson. They're not saying, you know what? We got it wrong. We didn't listen to the voters. We didn't listen to the constituents. Instead, we dismissed them. And and one other note, as much as 
we would be led to believe that we are a very polarized nation. And there's certainly some truth in that. Your point about don't underestimate the power of moms on a mission, of parents on a mission. What we saw here is an unlikely coalition of parents who said, I'm going to take off my Republican hat or my Democrat hat, and I'm going to join together for a cause that's very personal to me and important to our community. And while education certainly was the top issue on the ballot in Virginia, we see it um, also in New Jersey in the immediate conversation about what impacted voters' decisions there as well. Um, I think these other local issues about safe communities and having food on the shelves at the grocery store and pushing back against this incessant spending and taxing, all of these kitchen table conversations that have been happening really are what's going to drive uh, people's voting behavior. And whichever party or candidate who happens to be under the banner of the party is fighting for those local issues, all politics is local after all, is going to see the better election night next November. And and I think that, that you'd be really um, stubborn at your own peril if you kept trying to make this a divisive R versus D conversation versus really looking at um, what's driving people to take the voting action that they are. And something I was thinking about, too, it's so often with issues in elections, there is a candidate who is forecasting what could happen if we don't do anything. So I think of entitlement reform, like we're going to go Social Security is not going to be there for younger generations or Medicare and Medicaid. They're going to go bankrupt, things like that, where it's this forecasting, this warning. And what was so different about this election cycle is that people were experiencing the pain. So Mm. shutdown of schools, change in curriculum. Prices going up on food, prices going up on gas. We see things changing in real time in ways that really impact people on a day-to-day basis. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's anything more powerful about what is going right and wrong in a country than your the day-to-day issues affecting you. Oh my gosh, it's a fabulous point, um, and one that we don't always get to to use in real time. To your point, it's always what's happening in the future. What's the promise I can make to you versus what needs to change right now. And it reminds me of the old, I think it's Bill Clinton adage, who are you going to believe me or your lion eyes? And all these parents said, well, apparently my lion eyes, because I looked over my child's shoulder for 18 months and watched them struggle on Zoom. I heard what was being taught to them. So you telling me, Terry McAuliffe, that this is a conspiracy theory, what I have seen and heard with my own eyes and ears, only makes me run further away from you and further away from anyone who supports what you're espousing. And that was a big difference maker. We don't typically get that. For so long, conservatives, especially those of us who have really been big supporters of school choice, parental choice and education, you're kind of talking about something that you know to be true, but that most parents, of course, are going and you're at work all day and it's just enough to maybe check your child's homework at night. You're just trying to keep up with so many things. Hadn't had the opportunity to see for themselves until, ironically, the teachers unions worked overtime to keep kids on Zoom and out of school. And then parents had this extended amount of time to see what's really been going on in their child's classrooms. And frankly, I have to give a nod to to teachers. There were a lot of teachers who were upset with how things were being done, too. And they themselves also felt hamstrung by the teachers union. 
So these Democrats who continue to prioritize teachers unions over teachers, parents, students, will also continue, I think, to see um, bad election nights for themselves. And I hope that it becomes um, a change in behavior on that front as well. I'm not optimistic. We know the teachers unions are incredibly powerful, but but if they're seeing that their their long used talking points are not working anymore, maybe that will be um, inspire some change as well. And I think that the bringing up the talking points is such an important part because we didn't just, just see teachers unions helping Terry McAuliffe campaign, of course. It was also the narratives that we saw out there. It was to the point of calling parents domestic terrorists if they came to mm-hmm. board uh, school board meetings and speaking up calling parents racist, white supremacists, if they disagreed with aspects of the curriculum being taught, most notably CRT, critical race theory. And so do you think that Democrats need to take a hard look at some of the name, naming, the the tactics that they're using and calling groups of people, whether parents, um, whether it's just individuals, certain names, do you think we're going to see a change of tune on that? Or do you think they're going to double down on it? Well, if you look in the Twitter bubble, I'm hedging my bets towards doubling down. But a smart politician, uh, and of which we know, in, again, in Virginia, for example, there are a lot of targeted races for Democrats, especially in Northern Virginia. They don't have a lot of wiggle room. Certainly, they don't have a wiggle room with their majority in Congress. So smart candidates will recalibrate because for so many people, the, the Democrats are now just painting any person who considers himself a Republican with this broad brush that you must be a racist or you must be um, a conspiracy theorist, obviously the vast, vast, vast majority of those voters reject that assertion about themselves. And we're pretty stubborn people. And we say, just for that, I'm not going to support you. I'm not going to listen to you. And I assume that everything you're telling me is the exact wrong direction for me and my family. And I think that was a lot of the backlash that we saw that, motivated these parents to either cross over. I mean, people who just voted for Joe Biden last November, he won Virginia by a margin of 10 points to now see a huge swing in the other direction uh, for Republicans up and down the ballot. What tells you that there are a lot of people who changed their vote. And and even more, we saw um, in some early predictions that Glenn Youngkin was overperforming the number of people uh, he brought off the sidelines. So people who had just planned to stay home, who were then motivated to go out and vote. So I, Democrats should learn a lesson from that. Um, but Washington, D.C. is a pretty stubborn town. So remains to be seen. But I think it will be, um, again, their own political peril if they don't make any changes. And so let's look ahead to some of the big contests to watch in the midterms. Of course, this was an off year. I think it's still important to look at races. People call it a bellwether to to see what what can we take from these elections to determine what's going to happen in the midterms. So from the midterms, so a year from now, it's never too early to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, one of the biggest things to watch is going to be what happens in the House and the Senate with the balance of power. So what are going to be some of the the most important states to watch when it comes to the House race and the Senate races? Certainly. Well, I I think starting with Senate first, it's a little smaller pool to talk about. Um, Some of the races that people are really going to see as opportunities for flip. Nevada is one of the big ones that comes to mind. Um, Arizona. 
still very much a purple state. We know Mark Kelly has a huge war chest already, but if you take the results that we see in Virginia and certainly the president's very unpopular approval ratings and just that recent poll, I think it was NBC that showed the American people have no confidence in the Democrats' ability to get things done. So even looking at the Democrats being upside down on all the kitchen table issues, there doesn't seem to be any confidence that there's anything they can do to turn turn this tide around and accomplish anything that would make people that would change people's minds. So um, I'm particularly interested there. And I think that's a good pickup opportunity. And then what whatever we might see happen in New Hampshire, um, the governor up there is always um flirting with getting in the race. His, he's incredibly popular. Maggie Hassan, incredibly unpopular. And in a head-to-head, it looks like Chris Sununu would fare well. So I think that's a great pickup opportunity to keep an eye on. And certainly New Hampshire is always a fun state in the election year anyway. So um, I think should polls continue to trend as they are? Should people continue to believe by an overwhelming majority that our country is on the wrong track? with Democrats in control of all the levers of the legislative and executive branch, um, that's really going to spell trouble for, for Democrats down the road. And then combine that with Republican candidates who take the lessons in stride from this week um, to run a race on the issues that matter most to their communities. I think um, transitioning to the House, one thing that, went a little bit under the radar after 2020, but the Republican Party, and hats off to the NRCC for their recruitment, they did a really wonderful job of making sure that we had good candidates on the ballot, candidates that were representative of their districts, candidates that had good stories to tell. Um, And that's something that Republicans have long been, uh, that's been a problem for us. People have been able to paint us and say, no, you just are a monolith. And that certainly was not the case in 2020. Not only did they protect every Republican incumbent, but added to their ranks a really awesome class of um, diverse candidates, diverse in thought, diverse in background, diverse in geography. And I think that that will continue to help them as they, you know, fight for the issues that matter most to their specific districts. So that's um, where I'm looking and interested to see kind of the candidate class that emerges in the House in particular as we build on on that trend and those successes of more women, more veterans, more um, multifaceted, multicultural candidates. And in addition to the issue of education, which, of course, is a leading issue on people's minds all across the country, regardless of what state they're in, there's also the issue of the border. What are you finding as far as the interest that people have in this who aren't part of the border state. Border states obviously always have a a great interest in what's going on on the border for the obvious reason. But are you seeing that what's taking place on the border does matter to people, even if the type of news programs they watch don't cover it very much? Are they still getting their information, still concerned? What are you seeing on that issue? Yes. To your point earlier about this isn't about forecasting, but what people are seeing in their lives in real time, For so many, the border issue is a backyard issue to them, and it has to do certainly with safety in our communities, but also, you know, while the COVID-19 pandemic was all the conversation, the opioid pandemic continued to rage, and we know that a huge uh, opening for opioids in our country comes through our southern border, and 
people feel that personally. People have felt the tragedy of it very personally, if not under their own roof, in their own neighborhoods, in their own communities, in their own schools. And to see the complete dereliction of duty by the Biden administration and by extension Democrats in Congress, not only have they ignored the border issue, they've perpetuated it. They're now trying to sneak in amnesty into their multi-trillion dollar socialist spending proposal. And people are catching it because it is personal. They are take, The Democrats, once again, are taking for granted that this is something that only a few care about and not having those conversations and paying close attention to their constituents who are telling them this is a problem for us and we have to get this under control. So I think you're very right to note that that will play a role, if not in the sense of build a wall, maybe, the, you know, the, the traditional cheer that you might hear on border security, but in the sense of community safety and community health and families who are tired of watching their, their families and their communities being ravaged by this epidemic. And something that is different this year is going to be different in this upcoming election is we're seeing a lot of redistricting around the country. Mm-hmm. How is redistricting going to play a role in both state and federal elections? Well, first things first, we got to get these maps finalized. They've been um, really delayed in so many states, which has been frustrating to actually figure out who's going to run, who's your candidate, which candidates are going to run in which seats. Um, at America Rising, we've been, we have state chapters in several of the states. And so some of those key states, Illinois, Michigan, um, where they're still trying to figure this out, which is going to be interesting in terms of certainly primaries. A lot of members, frankly, Democrats and Republicans are, are going to have to make decisions about whether or not to run against the fellow incumbent or try a different district or a different, uh, office altogether or retire. Um, but also it means that many of them are going to declare their candidacy later than usual. So I think that will be interesting to see um, whether it be the polling and the landscape in the country um, and in their districts, if that factors into their decision over whether to run or not and where to run, but also um, in how they focus their time and energy, because potentially it could be a truncated campaign season. Now, one footnote I will make to that, um, some states like Illinois, you know, obviously are going to be heavily favored to the Democrats because of their control there. But that is where those down ballot races are so important. Um, and the state legislature gains that we continue to make as Republicans cycle over cycle. And we just made some in Virginia this week, uh, potentially flipping the, the, the House of Delegates there. It's so important because these are the moments when you talk about redistricting and those local issues about who's going to represent you. Um, that's where the, the, the work in those races really makes a difference. So hats off to those who have been working on that in the intervening 10 years between the census so that um, we can be well positioned as Republicans uh, and- in so many of these states. And speaking of the down ballot, I was just thinking as you were talking through that with so many people caring about education, maybe people getting involved in politics or elections like they never have before, maybe going out to vote when they don't really um, take the time to do so. Do you find that what is happening with school boards and education is not only bringing out people to vote against somebody on the school board or for somebody that they want to replace the current school board members, but it's also then giving them this opening to vote up ballot. So we're seeing these local issues 
really driving. Also, when you think about your congressman, your senator, your governor, all these important races that are coming up, I, I feel like we're in a moment in time that we haven't seen ever in this country just because of a global pandemic and also the liberal response to the, the COVID pandemic. What a great point and perspective. And as conservatives, what a what a fun thing to see to say that's how it should be. We always say it should start in working your way out. So much emphasis put on the statewide races or national races, and then maybe the guys down the ballot catch the tailwinds of those folks. But we have also heard this week, I was just talking to a friend earlier this week who said, I know my school board members by name. I could pick them out in a crowd. A year ago, I couldn't have done that. And how many people are saying that or how many people put their name on about it? Three friends who won school board races in the last year um, who said, this is my opportunity to step up. I can't just be a complainer from my kitchen table. I can do something about this. And so it's bringing out people who have never been before been so involved um, in their local politics who are understanding the the impact that it has even more so in many cases than their representative in Congress. So um, I think it's a wonderful point, and it, wouldn't it be great if that became um, the usual way of things that we learn locally and then work our way up the ballot? Um, I, I think that that's how it should be, and that would be a wonderful trend if that stuck. And final question for you before you leave is just thinking about the key demographics to watch. Do you think it will, again, be – or come down to suburban women. The the female vote is going to matter. I think it mattered in this week's elections. And my, my gut is telling me it's going to matter a lot in midterms. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. Again, talking with a lot of mom friends, they were not only excited to vote, but excited for the issues that were propelling them to vote. And it feels really good as, yes, it's conservative, but as caring parents, that the issues that we care about the most are the ones driving these elections. It's wonderful, certainly, as conservative as a Republican, that it's Republicans championing those issues and fighting for us on those issues. Um, but I've heard from a lot of people who say, I'm not only excited to vote, I'm excited to put the yard sign in my yard again. I'm excited to talk to my friends about it. I'm excited to share things on social media. It feels very positive. It feels like I'm part of a positive movement and a positive campaign. And I think after so much and I would say it's very media driven, but vitriol that we've experienced just over the last, I'm not even talking just from 2020, you know, the last decade plus, it just feels like politics is a place reserved for the gutter. And it's now been lifted up out of that. And people can feel like they can have very, um, that's a patriotic duty again, and they can have, you know, kind conversations with their neighbors and friends. Those seem to be the folks who are prevailing, despite that there's still, of course, a big effort out there to divide and, and make it, a, a, again, like a gutter play. But um, these moms who have long wished for a, a more cordial conversation on politics, I think are getting their wish because they're driving the conversation. Well, we so appreciate women like you who are willing to work within the gutter of politics and try to help us all <laughs> rise above it. Um, so Cassie Smedley, Executive Director of America Rising Pack, thank you so much for your insight and also for joining us on She Thinks. Wonderful to be with you. Thanks so much for having me.
And thank you for joining us. Before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. Please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That is iwf.org backslash donate. And last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help. Also, we'd love it if you shared this episode and let your friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.